Hey, stick around because today we have a full on rock and roll legend on the show. Jim McCarty. He's the drummer for the Yardbirds. He's in the rock and roll hall of fame. He's got some great stories like playing Ouija boards with Jimmy page, hanging out with Paul McCartney and hearing him play yesterday for the first time before he even had lyrics, uh, his bad experience with LSD. And of course, we're going to talk about his new book, all this and more coming right up. Don't go anywhere. You know, with all the success you've had, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you didn't think you were going to make it. Um, didn't you ask, you told your boss, you asked like your day job, you asked for time off, but you wanted to have that job back in a few years. You're like, yeah, I don't think this band's going to work out. So I'll come back in a few years. And then obviously yeah. it worked out. <laughs> that was really funny because, uh, you know, I was in a steady job, quite, you know, quite a good job, nine to five. And, uh, I was living with my mother, and of course, she wanted me to keep have a job. And uh, I was playing with the band, and we started to play more and more. And uh, it was very, very difficult to try and keep it up, like playing uh, playing at night and then working nine to five. And I, you know, <clears throat> sometimes I used to go straight to a gig, and I'd change from my because it was a stock exchange, you know, and I'd change from my pinstripe suit. <laughs> you know, into my jeans and t-shirt and play a gig. You know, it was quite funny, but it was very tiring for me. And uh, so I, I went to the boss and I thought, oh, well, it, it's not going to last very long. Maybe, you know, if I have my job back in a year or so, can, can I do that? <laughs> and he said, of course, but I never, I never actually went back, ever. <laughs> Was that before when you jumped? So when you quit, was that um, after you'd already been signed to a record deal? No, 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 no. We were we were obviously going to um, we were obviously going to do quite well because we were you know we were building an audience and we would uh, people were very keen on us and we were playing a lot and it, it was getting bigger and bigger. So no, it, it, it was it was before we ever signed up. But you just knew you're like something's. I I can't keep doing this. I mean, you were busy enough with the band that it made sense to quit at that time. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It was very. It was quite full on, and it went actually went very quickly. Um, you know, from from just starting to play and playing more and more gigs, and then getting a, a record deal, and then having having a finally having a hit. It was quite a quick, you know, it all happened in about a year or something. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how many albums you guys put out. Uh, I mean, now it's like people make an album. Well, for a while, it was like every other year, every two or three years. And now it's like one every 10 years. But you guys are putting out multiple albums in the same year. Well, that was really, you know, probably compilations. I, I don't think we actually made that many albums per se. Um it was, uh, there were a lot of albums made out of all our, our singles, single attempts, you know, and our hit singles and stuff, uh, mainly compilations, I think. We, we, we did a couple of albums, I think, in all. Maybe, yeah, maybe only three because we did the live album first, <clears throat> live at the marquee, and then we did uh, the what's called Roger the Engineer and then Little Games. And then maybe the other um, 
um, the, the, the one in New York, which was a live one, which never really came out, you know, at the Amazon Theatre. Mm. That came out fairly recently, actually, about five years ago, in a remastered form. So we 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 did we were we were um, asked to do singles all the time. That was the whole thing in those days. Your next single, it was so important. Yeah, that's kind of how it is now, though. Too, I feel like nobody buys albums. It's all about the single. <laughs> I know. And it's also come round, you know, somebody said to me the other day, oh, it looks like it's come round to as it was, where you were making all the money from playing gigs. And it's, you know, it's similar because you don't make, you're not really making, uh, you know, big record uh, royalties now. It's all uh, coming off the road. And I think that's for the, it goes for the young bands as well. Yeah. It's like it was in the 60s. <laughs> right, but I I love that. Like, wasn't there a song, the Pussycat Dolls? They covered. They used a clip from the Yardbirds, so you get this yeah. royalty check. Like, what is it? Like thirty or forty years later? Like, that's so crazy. I know, I know, and it's worked out as our, you know, our best ever, our best ever uh, cover. They just sampled a bit of it, you know, at the beginning. Yeah, and they used a very simple riff, and uh, it's it's crazy. It was the I mean, they're so, they're so big. They sell, sell so many records. It was our best ever cover, better than all the other songs. <laughs> is that your biggest moneymaker? Is is from that uh, cover, or do you get other royal? Is there another big royalty? Uh, that that's the biggest moneymaker from from the songs. You know. Okay. Uh, uh, there were shapes of things got recorded by lots of people. Um, Including David Bowie and Rush right. and uh, uh, you know Richie Blackmore's Rainbow and quite quite a few, um, but nothing comes up to the. Uh, <laughs> That's so I, funny. Uh, yes, and uh, if you listen to their record, you can hear us playing. You know, we were actually playing at the beginning. Yeah, uh, no, that's a cool song. Yeah, yeah, it was one of our album tracks. So it's funny. It's funny what happens. They're very, very strange things happen in this business. Yeah, because I listened to the, the your original song and I'm like, oh, this is a really cool riff. I see why they picked it. It, it still stands the test of time. Yeah, and uh, you know, taking a bit of credit here, it was probably the first song I ever wrote. Oh, you were you the main <laughs> songwriter? Well, yeah, I I I, I wrote it, but uh, Paul Samuel Smith, the bass player. You know, we go back a long way, and he, he was uh, at school with me, and he sort of helped me do it. So it was him and me that took the took the royalty. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, because you fun. don't you don't just do drums. You you play a lot of you play uh, keyboards, and did you have like a new age band and stuff? And yeah, you've done all sorts of stuff. Yes, I, I I've I've uh, I've dipped in really into different types of music. Um, uh, yeah, I did a bit of new age relaxation music and also I, I quite like to play guitar and sing like a sort of acoustic you know acoustic singer songwriter type thing I, I like that role as well not many people know that about me um, but there's a few albums I, I've done I've done like three or four uh, solo albums and not many people know it but uh they know me from, you know, being the drummer of the Arbors. <laughs> yeah. Do you play live and do the, the, the live shows with the singer-songwriter? 
Uh, sometimes, yeah. I, ha- I haven't for a long time because of the maybe because of the lockdown, but I have done, yeah, I have done, but not okay. too much. Are you guys going to tour with the Yardbirds, the um, the one yeah, the version you have now? Yeah, with the version. Yeah, we're coming back in September because we had a lot of dates cancelled and got finally got rebooked in in September. So we're coming. We're not, we're not coming as far as you. Unfortunately, we're just going to the East Coast. Okay. Well, I, I thought, like, would you guys ever record new music? And uh, I think it'd be cool to get some of the, like, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page just to do, like, a song or two. Like, do you think they'd be down for that? I mean, just, like, the nostalgia of it? Well, you never know, you know. <laughs> we, now and then we ask them, but we we don't get we don't hear back. But um, you, you never know depending on the mood. It'd be good to do some new material because, the, you know, the last one was the Birdland album and that was back in, you know, 2003. Okay. Um, and we did it We did it out in Steve Vai's place um, in Hollywood. Oh, Steve Vai. Did he play on it? Yeah, he played on it too. Yeah, he, play, he played on shapes of things. Okay. So of and all those... The- Guitarists, that you, I mean, I, you probably get asked this question all the time, but of Eric Clapton, Beck, and Paige, who all were in the Yardbirds, who was the best? Who was the one that wowed you the most? Oh, well, well no doubt Jeff. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Jeff, Jeff was the greatest musician. Um, but, you know, he, he probably was, well, I don't know if he was the most difficult, but, um, you know, they, they, they were all quite difficult in, in their own way. But um, I think Jeff was the, uh, the best musician. I think they'd all agree anyway. Really? Yeah, was there a the time, most... there was a time when Beck and Paige were in the Yardbirds together, which is just, it blows my mind that you had both of those guys. I mean, that's crazy. I know. Incredible, wasn't it? It didn't last too long, though. It, it, it was too, uh, too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they, yeah, because, I mean, they must have known that they, you know, were that talented that they could go off on their own and just have their own solo careers, and obviously Paige with Led Zeppelin too. It's... Well, they, they, they finally they they finally got it, but you know, it's very much a confidence thing. You know, they had to organize things, but they were always they were all destined to be on their own solo solo guys. Really, they were all great players. Yeah, I mean, were you? When you're looking them back in the kit and you're playing, are you are you just mesmerized and wowed and going, these guys are insane, or is this just like what you're used to? Like you're almost spoiled with when you have all three of those like right in a row. <laughs> well, you know, you have to think that in those days we were just a team. We were playing together and we were like a family uh, and uh, there was nobody more important than anyone else. We, we, were, just, we were just playing um, something we worked out together and we were all a team and uh, finally you know each of them got unsatisfied with it you know dissatisfied and wanted to do something else yeah well so let's talk a little bit about the book and tie this in though because um you do talk about and i wanted to ask you more about this you you bring up jimmy page in the book and you because you always talk about you had this kind of interest in the uh, what do you call it, the occult the paranormal all this stuff but there's a there's a part where you talk about Jimmy Page and playing Ouija boards with Jimmy Page. Did you guys ever <laughs> conjure up any spirits or anything? Or or tell me about that. That sounds 
hanging doing yeah. anything with Jimmy Page sounds fascinating, but playing a Ouija <laughs> board sounds even more. That sounds like a good story there. Like you didn't really dive into detail in the book, so I wanted to ask you about it. No, it was probably just done as a bit of a laugh, you know. We we, we used to mess around with those things sometimes, uh, to, to, just for a joke, really. Uh, it wasn't serious, but. Um, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy uh, at the time, he was quite interested in flying saucers. I remember that. And he knew the person that ran the um, society in London. And he, he, he told us, oh, you should go and talk to him and he'll, he'll tell you some stories. And, yeah, we went, we went, we met him, the, the guy in London. And, uh, I mean, we were all interested in that sort of thing. But, you know, he, he went off... Um, uh, and he studied Alistair Crowley, you know, and all that stuff. Um, we, we didn't get him. Keith and I, Keith Ralph, the singer, and myself, we didn't get involved in that at all. But, but we were just interested in all that sort of uh, w- weird and wonderful things. You know, <laughs> we used to talk about it on the road all the time. Uh, and we, you know, we developed um, a, a big interest in the paranormal things and things that what uh, that couldn't be explained yeah it was interesting too you said that it was banned in in the uk or, or like medium like psychics were it was illegal to be a psychic in uh, the uk back in the 60s or something uh i don't know but i'm not sure about that but it was always like frowned upon um i think particularly mediums uh they they, they i think they still are they're, they're slightly frowned upon by the church, you know, because they they feel there's something, you know, voodoo or or something strange about it. But um, I, that, that doesn't really bother me. But, yeah, uh, it's been a long history in, in England of all the psychic stuff, going really back to the Victorian times when that used to happen. And um, people like Conan Doyle, you know, he comes into the book a lot, um, he was very interesting, and he was always interested in all that stuff. And of course, he wrote all the Sherlock Holmes books, um, and he, he was a great character. Yeah. So, like, you start off the book talking about how um, you kind of feel like everything is what is it? Uh, the word you use, like everything's kind of connected and 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 weaved together through these. Everything's linked by these threads. C- explain that more, though. Well, it's a sort of thread. It's something that connected in, in your mind and, and your, uh, uh, it sort of links in with something else, you know, and you start thinking about, <clears throat> maybe you start thinking about flying saucers uh, and then that links in with like Atlantis and all that stuff and then uh, links in with other stuff and and also we're, we're all connected anyway, you know, um, everyone on the earth is connected in some way, you know, uh, you, you can't really um, say we're all individuals. We're all, you know, I'm connected with you on some level. And it, it, it's funny, these threads are all weaving, but they're all they're all going the same way. You know? Yeah. Wasn't there also like a, I, I don't remember the details of this, um, but it's like the theory of like global consciousness that we're all connected, like in our consciousness, which is like a really interesting thought. If you think about it, like somehow we're all, all of our minds are connected to each other and on a deeper level, we just not, might not be aware of it all the time. 
Yes, I know. It, it is awareness, I think, that we don't know. And I, I never, when I thought about these things, but I, I, I was never struck about it deeply until my wife passed. And then there was very strong signs that, you know, she was, she was still going. Um, and then I studied uh, people like Evan Alexander, who was a, a he, he's a brain surgeon and he had a near-death experience. And he said, well, I, I can't explain this because um, I was so ill, my, my brain was dead. Um, so, and I was going into a place where I remembered everything, like a vision, and I remembered where I went, who I met, uh, the, place, <laughs> the place I went to, I could describe it clearly. And he had this great story, but he said, uh, my brain was dead. So where was it coming from? Um, he could only say that the consciousness was, was carrying on. Um, so I can see quite logically now that uh, when we die, our consciousness carries on. Uh, you know, all our body and mind can die, but there's part of us that still goes on. Uh, and I've had evidence, I've had solid proof that I can speak to my wife. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not that easy, but uh, it, it can be done and it comes and goes, but it, it, it's definitely evidence and, and I, I believe it. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a great journey. So I thought, well, I, I, I'll write the book and uh, see, how it, see how it goes. Maybe it would um, help people in some way that have lost relatives or or, or, or children, you know, or uh, people that are going through the same as me, the, the grief process. Um, and, and I've had, you know, very good reaction from that. Yeah, it, it seems like there is, when you talk about the near-death experience, there's a lot of, like, these commonalities with those experiences. And, and again, there's a lot of those people, like you said, a brain surgery, these people of the medical community who are very skeptical, and then they say, you know, they're seeing things and uh, experiences that are very real, and uh, you experienced some of those with, with Lizzie when she was, uh, before she passed, didn't you say like she was having visions and things like she, she predicted Charlie Watts was going to die. The drum Rolling Stones drummer. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you got that. Cause that wasn't in the book, but I, I did. Um, I did know that this was after she passed. I, I, I have a thing where I, try and communicate on a regular basis you know a particular time of day and I write down things and I get things you know um, I, I see things in my mind or I hear things and, and uh, um, she said to me Charlie Watson it, it was you know a few months before he died and uh, I thought Charlie Watson you know what and, uh, and she wasn't really into rock and roll you know, like I am <laughs> and she liked more sort of classical music. So I don't know what what it was about. And then all of a sudden he died. And I, I realised, well, she was telling me that he was going to die. So, uh, I mean, where she is, uh, there's there's no time. You know, there's no, um, it's timeless. So <laughs> That's so <laughs> fascinating. Funny, isn't it? Very yeah. Hard. And what was the thing to explain this? You said there was... The birds and butterflies were were coming to the window when she was when she was about to pass. What what is that? What do you think's going on there? Yeah, I mean it was very strange. Um, 
I've, I've never seen it before, but birds would try and come into the room and, and, and peck on the window. Uh, and, and she was in a coma. She was on morphine in a coma um, before she passed um, because of the pain of the cancer. Uh, and I was, I was talking to her, you know, I was saying, wow, look at this bird. He's trying to get in. Well, who's he? You know, what, what's, what's going on? It was very odd. And then after she passed, there were more and more birds coming um, and butterflies coming. And um, But I, I found out now, apparently they can, uh, people on the other side, as they say, they can uh, merge with these, with these things, with birds or butterflies. They can merge their energy with them. Um, <laughs> it mm-hmm. sounds very but you know, just te- temporarily, uh, and uh, they can they can come to to say hello, just to say that they're around, you know, to give you a sign. Wow! Yeah, because you didn't have the birds and the butterflies; they weren't there before and not since. Oh no, no, no! And, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing all these birds, and then the, uh, there was one little bird used to come into the terrace and stay the night. You know, used to. Uh, nestled down and at the top of the terrace every night for about a week or so, uh, and little experiences like that, and you've got to be aware of it. You know, you've got to notice it. Um, and there's lots of things like that that happen. Very, very funny. What other uh, signs, or when you say that she still communicates with you, what kind? How does how does that happen? What does that look like? Uh, well, I, I I always ask for evidence. Um, this was something I learned of, of a medium called Suzanne Giesman, because I did some courses with her, and she was she sort of showed me how to do it, how to go through uh, uh, the, the steps in order to communicate, um, which are actually quite simple. Uh, and uh, she said, "Well." Uh, it's very important that you have evidence that something something that you don't know already, something solid that you can prove. So, you, you know, I might say to Lizzie, oh, um, is there some evidence? What am I going to see that today? Um, and she might say, oh, you'll see a, a tower or you'll see a circus. <laughs> something like that will come into my mind and then it'll happen. Uh, and... Um, I was talking to somebody. Uh, it was actually the stories in the in the book. I was talk, talking to someone who lives in California, near probably near where you are, who was the uh, tour manager for the band, and her name was Mariah. Uh, and Lizzie didn't really know her very well, but she knew of her. And um, I, I said, "Well, Lizzie, tell me something about Mariah that that I wouldn't know." So I saw this vision of a skipping rope in my mind. Um, and so I rang up Mariah and I talked a bit to her. And then I, I said to her, um, what does a skipping rope mean anything to you? And um, Mariah said, no, not really. She said, I used to do skipping when I was a kid. but And then she said, oh, hold on a minute. <laughs> she said, um, I'm a big fan of Salvador Dali. And Salvador Dali in his paintings used to put Alice in Wonderland in the corner, skipping. 
and she said, I'm a big fan, and I did a homage to Dali, and it's actually on my wall behind me. Uh, and it was a sort of, um, you know, a, a sort of painting sculpture type of thing. And it was a woman skipping. <laughs> but it, the story's in my book. That's, so, yeah. you know what's really weird? This is going to, this might blow your mind right now. Look at this, though. I have this book right here. <laughs> what are the odds of that? Like, I have this book right here. I just, I'd had it on my wall for my last guest because he was a big Dolly fan. And I love, he's my favorite artist. So I put that up there for him, but I had it right here. And you're talking about, I'm looking at this book as you're telling this story. And I'm like, what are the odds of that, that you're going to tell this story, right? <laughs> I know. That, yeah, that, that's what happens. All these synchronicities. Synchronicity. Happen. Exactly. Yeah. It's really fascinating stuff. Wow, that's crazy. Well, you talk too about, because um, sometimes I think some of the stuff, you, I feel like we just get bits and pieces. We, we don't really know what's going on. People can say this or that, that this is for sure. I don't think anybody knows, but we just get like little clues. And I think sometimes people see things with drugs. Now you talk in chapter two that you one time tried LSD and it messed you up for months. Tell me about that. Yeah. What happened? A long time. Well, we, we were in San Francisco and we we saw we were playing, and this and this guy, this guy suddenly appeared, and he was, had all long greasy hair and a, and a, a, a black leather jacket on and stuff and dirty old jeans, and he was like Doctor Owsley. He made all the acid on the on the the West Coast at the time. You know, he was a famous um, um, chemist, you know, doctor chemist, and he just gave and plonked a whole load of pills into our hands, you know. He said, oh, try these out. And of course, like idiots, we, we took them. <laughs> and uh, it was very strong acid, and uh, it didn't agree with me. I was away on tour, and uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd read about acid before. I'd read Timothy Leary and all that stuff, um, but I didn't know what to expect, and it was it was very difficult. Um, being in somewhere that was, you know, I was very insecure in, um, not really comfortable. And so I, I, I had a pretty bad trip and it, it, I had repercussions when I got back to London. Um, I was quite depressed for a long time. Apparently that can be quite common. Um, but I was lucky, you know, because my brain came round. I was okay after it um, eventually. Uh, and it led me on to a lot of um, sort of healing stuff and self-healing and all that stuff um, in London. I, I got involved with some very interesting people in that field. And, uh, and I've been like that ever since, really. Um, very interested in that sort of thing. Ben, never. And then you kind of got over the depression and you never had experienced that again? No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Not to that uh, level. Yeah, and no, I never went back. It was like a horrible thing, you know, where you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, it might be gone. But then you, you wake up in the morning, there it is again, day after day. Um, it, it was very, um, very disturbing. But it, it finally went. And um, I, I remember my, my doctor who was treating me, uh, who was in Harley Street or somewhere in London, and he said... Uh, Oh, you'll get the benefit of this in the future, um, which I'm not quite quite sure what he meant, but I think he, he meant it would be a, 
like a creative um, a creative thing, an, an advantage creatively. Um, so I'm assuming that's what he meant, you know. I, that's what I've heard. Yeah, like I had, I just had a musician on yesterday, and he said he only did it like four times, and he feels like he doesn't need to do it again. He says whatever door it opens, he said it opened it, and that's that's all he needed. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it affects people. I had friends in high school that would do that stuff every day. I'm like, I don't know how they function and go to school taking acid every day. I mean, I, I guess some people are different, more sensitive to it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's so many levels of sensitivity, aren't there? You know. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose looking back on it, um, I'm glad it's over, but I don't, I don't regret it because the doctor was right. I think it helped me in some way. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest anyone took it. <laughs> no, it's a gamble because you don't know how it's going to affect you. Could be. I mean, luckily you recovered, but it could have been worse. Exactly. It's not like a pint of beer. You always know how you're going to feel. <laughs> right. 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 Was there a lot of drugs when you were in the Yardbirds in the '60s? I would think that would be a time where there was a lot of drugs going all over the place. Yes, it was very available. You know, every every second person you bump into. Would, give you something and especially in san francisco of course <laughs> that was the place but yeah everywhere it was very available so more it was probably more just pot for you then or or what, what other stuff was it i mean obviously that was your only experience with lsd but yeah it was either pot or, and then it became lsd we never got into coke or anything like that okay um, maybe some uh upper upper pills you know amphetamine that you take to keep awake <laughs> oh so was, yeah yeah they were quite popular okay so <laughs> so weird <laughs> weird to think of like i guess yeah but i mean those those guitar players eric clapton all those guys did they must have used those drugs sometimes that, that might have enhanced the, some of the performances well <laughs> i don't know about that but you know unfortunately i think they you know those guys ended up drinking too much. I think that was the oh, was that the that, thing? That was the thing that did them in. Yeah, not when they were in the Yardbirds, though, was it? Oh uh, no, they were fine. They were fine before. Yeah, they were fine with us. Okay. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you about this part in the book too. You talk about um, very early in the book. You talk about kind of these observations you had with like religion and such, and you're trying to figure out like, well, how. How does that work? How could there only be one God and all that? So did you kind of come to a conclusion with that? Like, cause they can't, all religions can't be correct. <laughs> I know, I know, but, but in a way, you know, the basis of all religion is very similar, I guess. Um, but, but I don't, I don't see what any one religion as being the right one. Um, I, I, I mean, I was, I was sort of brought up as a Christian. I went to I uh, went to Sunday school and all that stuff. Um, but 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 none of them are, none of them are, no one is right. I think. But um, I, I really think that when you you know when you die, that there's no hell. So there's no there's no um, you're not going to be punished for your sins or anything like that. that that's all bullshit. I'd say. Um, but because it seems to be a very loving place where we all go, um, and uh, any 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 anything we've done that's wrong, then it's down to us, you know. 
we, we see our, ourselves uh, uh, for what we've done and um, there's nobody going to punish us, uh, only really ourselves looking looking at what we've done and, and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of owning up to that. This is what I can gather and this is what I've learned. I mean, I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah, well, it's just weird to think, like, because some of the there's some really evil people in the world, and uh, I don't know. It's weird to think that if we're all in the same place, or like, it's confusing, like how that that works. Because I, yeah, I don't know if there is a necessarily a heaven or a hell, or 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 what happens, or if we're all connected, or like, do we even understand what 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 happens? But yeah, I don't know. It's like you'd think that that I don't, that doesn't seem right that they those people that were so evil would just get off scot-free, I guess, in a way. Well, I don't think they do, you know. I think they have to live with it and live with themselves. And, um, I mean, if they if they still want to carry on like that, uh, with that sort of mindset, then then they can, you know. But they, they'll go to a nasty place. But, you know, that's what I think anyway. And then they'll have to finally realise they're doing something wrong and then and then gradually move up the scale. You know? Yeah. That's what's so weird about some of the, the evil people. When you see interviews, like they don't feel guilty. And that's always a weird thing to me too, that I, when you talk about like the global consciousness, it's like, like, you know, that's what I feel more like we're all connected. So I'm always trying to think, Hey, am I making the world a better place? Am I doing good things for the world? But some people don't think like that. They just think like yeah. what's best for me and screw everybody else. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. It's a bit, but I think, I think they, you know, they'll get the picture in the end. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Thing is, for us, not to, not to be uh, judgmental of them either. You know, we just have to let them do their thing and find out whichever way they, you know, find out the hard way, maybe. Yeah, is that kind of the philosophy that you've? you've kind of figured out over time with just, I mean, you've studied so much of this stuff. Like what other conclusions have you come to with, with studying all this paranormal and um, philosophy and science and all this stuff? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the main conclusion that we're, <clears throat> our consciousness goes on. Uh, and we, we carry on doing whatever, but it, it's a good, it's a good thing. I mean, we go, we go, we go to if we've got good in us, we'll go to a good place, and we'll, you know, if we're bad, we'll finally learn that's the only way to go, and um, we're, we're going to we're going to gradually ascend. You know, um, this is what I gather. We, we're going to um, become better and better. We're going to help people and do more and more, um, and and that's the way forward. I hope so. It's, it's, it sure is a, it's a mystery, you know, it's like, and that's why I, I like that you're trying to figure it out in this book and uh, just with your experiences and you're, you're, you're trying to tackle that subject. It's a tough subject. My dad's really interested. He actually wrote this book, uh, ultimate reality that he gets like all the scientific stuff into it though. He has like 500 resources and he's documenting all these things. And it's a really fascinating subject for sure. Oh, great. And that's your dad, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I can't see the name of the book. What's yeah, it called? it's called Ultimate Reality. It's uh, Roger Shoot is my dad. Yeah, he wrote it. I had him on the show. And we talked about it. And uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's like you said with the, the near-death experience with the brain surgeon. There's so many stories like that where there's all the science. And uh, I had a, a cognitive psychologist on who who's really into the consciousness stuff. And he really thinks 
the way he describes it is like it's kind of like a um, a virtual reality that, that what we're seeing is it's not reality it's like a virtual reality and when when we die it's like we're taking the headset off kind of is kind of the analogy that he's using yeah i completely agree <laughs> that's the way i see it yeah fantastic yeah yeah it's yeah. a tough tough one because it's uh it's quite it's quite hard to to live isn't it sometimes it's uh like you say, you've got to see some horrible things and some horrible people. It's you know, it's not an easy life here, is it? But um, I, I gather we we're learning a lot. We're all we're all learning how to something or other, and then you know maybe we we've, we've got to come back again and learn some more. You know, and that's the way. Yeah. So what have you learned? Because you're in one of the biggest rock bands of all time. You're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like. Was that your highlight in your life, or was that even not? We realize now with more wisdom that that wasn't even that big of a deal. Well, it's all relative, isn't it? That that was relatively a big a big deal. I mean, that was the probably the best the best thing that ever happened to us in a way. Um, but of course, you know, playing music, and I, I'm still able to do it, and it's been you know i've met some wonderful people and done some seen some lovely places and i've really enjoyed it and that that i'm i'm very happy about that i feel blessed you know and i have a lot of gratitude for that for that happening to me um which i think is you know that's a positive thing if we can be uh grateful for things um you know, give thanks to things uh, for for our in our lives, <clears throat> but I've had a lot a lot of nice things happen. So, um, you know, I I feel quite mellow about all that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, playing with some great people. Tell me about playing with the Beatles. Like, is it? Is it tell me the story. You broke Ringo's drum kit when you played on it. Yeah, we were playing in Paris. Actually, uh, we were supporting them. Um, in a in a quite a big uh, big place in Paris, Palais de Sport, you know, it's uh, an arena, <clears throat> and there were a lot of a lot of people, mainly men actually. There were mainly men there that were singing all the Beatles songs as they played, but we were we played before them, and uh, in those days we shared all the back line, so that all the guys played their their amps and I played Ringo's drums. And then they didn't used to mic up the kit in in those days. They it's not like now. It's very easy. You know, you hear everything. So in order to be heard, I had to really play loud. Uh, I mean, to hit them very hard. And then towards the end, I noticed I smashed through his snare drum. And Oops. I thought, oh, no, I've, got, I've broken his snare drum. It was so embarrassing. You know, I thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble. Uh, but it was fine in the end. Uh, it was all repaired very quickly, and Ringo had a laugh. And <laughs> but they were they were good guys because they were always they were always very funny. Yeah, and th- was this the same time where McCartney comes into your dressing room and starts playing you an early version of Yesterday's called Scrambled Eggs? It didn't have the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was that, it was it was around about that time. What yeah. what was your thoughts when you first when you first heard that? Were you like, oh my god, this is beautiful, or was it not really fleshed out at that point? Oh no, no, it was lovely. Uh, just just hearing the uh, the tune, it was wonderful. I mean, hearing it up close, like you know, like you're sitting here and playing it 
playing that tune to you, it didn't matter about the lyrics at all. Because the lyrics he got eventually were great, weren't they? You know, yesterday, it's a great song. And it was like something you, I know you never heard before. It was like something, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is fresh and original. And I've never heard anything quite like this before. Wow. That must have been amazing to hear that song for the first time live with him playing it. Like, that's crazy. It's very exciting. And he was so proud of it. You know, he came in and played, oh, what do you think, guys? You know. <laughs> what other memories stand out for you? It's just in, in your time with the Yardbirds or? Well, it was always, it was always great coming over to America, to be honest. Um, because we, you know, we were in a very dismal, a dismal sort of life in in London, and it was very uh, dingy and foggy, and there used to be fogs in those days, and uh, it was wet. And then we on the TV, we always watched the movies from the states, you know, and the gangster mm-hmm. movies and uh, the westerns, <laughs> and all the beach movies and. Uh, and and it was so exciting suddenly to come to America where all that was going on. Plus all the, all the blues music and the jazz. Uh, you could just go to a club and, you know, see great, see B.B. King or whoever, you know, or, or some great jazz guy. Thelonious Monk, I think we saw. Wow. <laughs> so couldn't really do that. You couldn't really do that in London. That was tough. Yeah. So you're, you're going to tour with the Yardbirds, but you're not coming to the States this time? Oh, yeah, we're coming. We're coming in September. Oh, September. Okay. Oh, I'll have to look out for that. Yeah, we're coming in September, but we'll be in uh, around about the East Coast. Philadelphia area around there. Okay. Do do you do, um, are you guys just go solo, like just the Yardbirds, or do you do like a package with other bands? Oh, no, no. We'll be be solo. Yeah, we'll be solo. I think we might be doing one gig with. uh, oh, I can't remember. Uh, no, I can't remember now. <laughs> well, Canned Heat. Okay. One gig with Canned Heat. Do you remember that? Yeah. Wasn't that more of a, was it a 70s band? I feel like, am I thinking uh, of the right band? Yeah, it's a 70s sort of bluesy band. Okay. Yeah. On the Road Again. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're, we're doing maybe one or two gigs with them. Okay, cool. Well, people can get the book now. Um, you have all your music. And then um, I always end with a charity. And you mentioned the uh, uh, Sarcoma Foundation of America. Yes, but my wife actually died with a sarcoma, which is just a, like a little lump in her arm. But it, it spread very quickly. Um, and we, we, we did get in touch with the, that foundation a couple of times. And they were very helpful. And they were very nice, and they they recommended uh, a doctor in London that, that uh, Lizzie went to see. who was very very nice. He was one of the specialists, you know, and uh, it, he helped us a bit. But you know, it's very difficult. It's uh, <clears throat> it, it, it's not an easy thing to to uh, to get over. It's Is that one. something that people can, if you catch it early, can you or can you prevent it, or can you? Stop it if you find it early. Is there a thing where like yeah. you don't notice later? Yeah, you've got to catch it very early. Um, she had it. She had it on her forearm, um, 
but they were they were suggesting that they were going to remove her forearm first of all, mm. remove the source of the cancer, which you know wasn't very nice, but we thought it might be the answer. But um, it spread very quickly. It went to her liver, you know, very quickly after after a month or so. You know, it was uh, quite aggressive. Okay. Well, I'll put that uh, website in the show notes along with the Yardbirds website. And uh, again, the book is available. It's called, I want to make sure I have it right. She Walks in Beauty, My Quest for the yeah. Bigger Picture. Yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> it's a good read. It's short. It's easy. I like it. So very good stuff. Really interesting topics and uh, good stories. And I think you have, an- you have another book too that's more about your music career, correct? Yeah. Over an autobiography. Nobody told me. Yeah. Uh, was out a little bit earlier, a few years earlier. Okay, cool. People can check that out too. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Jim. I appreciate it. All right, Chuck. It was a nice interview. All right. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you again to Jim. Again, make sure to check out his new book, Catch the Yardbirds on Tour, and you can hear all the Yardbirds music on Spotify or a variety of other methods. Uh, and if you have a few bucks laying around, please send it to the sarcoma charity that's, that he mentioned. It's in the show notes, uh, along with my website, where you can find links to all my social media and old podcast episodes. Uh, if you go on YouTube, you can see the episodes organized by playlist. And I've had some great classic rock musicians on the show, including Joey Mullen from Badfinger, Mark Farner of Grand Funk, Ted Nugent, Don McLean. Ann Wilson from Heart, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull, Edgar Winner, and many, many more. So make sure to subscribe or follow on social media so you'll be up to date with future episodes. And we're going to have some great artists on the show coming up. So stick around for that. And thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day. And remember to shoot for the moon.